Good morning and Boker Tov. We are back together to learn how to live with Emuna, the purpose of our group, which is much more than a shear or a learning group. It's really a, uh, it's really a self-help. It's really a support group where we're supporting one another to live lives in which we see Hashem in our life. That's the topic of our study, Das Bitzchonecha. Rav Schwartz has been teaching us there are two ways to live, with God in it or with God out of it. To see everything as being coordinated and orchestrated and from above, or to see our lives as randomness and chance. And the difference will be whether we have meaning, whether we have purpose, whether we are alive or whether we're dead even while we're alive. Tzadik be'emunaso The righteous live through emuna. So we come together to reinforce and to remind one another that throughout our day, we should hear Him and see Him and feel Him and have an awareness of Him and be appreciative to Him and so on. I want to begin with appreciation to our sponsor for the Living with Amuna series for the entire year, Drs. Avi and Bella Morgan. Thank you so much for your generosity in memory of our dear friend Rabbi Dr. Brian Gabbett, Ruvein Nassan ben Abarch Tzvi ben Ruvein Nassan, whose neshama should continue to have an aliyah. He continues to live even after he's left this world and continues to inspire all of us who knew him every single day. I also want to thank our sponsors this morning, my dear friends, Sal and Leslie Abedi, who are sponsoring in honor of their children, Joey and Marissa. And please God, uh, Marissa is expecting that baby should be healthy and well and a source of tremendous nachas to the Abedis, to Joey and Marissa. We should hear only the best of news and they should have only the best of things. Only Simchas, thank you for your generous sponsorship. Okay, we are still working through this essay of Rav Schwartz, the author of the Bavavi Mishkan, Evne, and he has an essay called Da Es Bischonecha. I tried to share the link with you. If you're in our Emuna WhatsApp group or on the Emuna email, you got the link. Otherwise, you can just listen for now. You can actually find this essay online. It's available. So he's been walking us through this attitude and approach that what does it mean to have bitachon? What is a life of faith and trust? It means a life of confidence and calmness. If you're frazzled, if you're chaotic, if you're anxious, if you're worried, if you're hypercritical, if you're envious, if you're arrogant, you don't have amuna. Amuna is not just in that moment. You say, I have faith in God. I turn to God. I daven and I shuckle a lot. I daven and I have a long shmonesri. That's not amuna. Amuna is, I'm always calm. I don't get frazzled. I don't get bent out of shape. I don't worry. Whatever happens is for a reason. And it's by design. And certainly there's a way I hope it will all go down. But even if it doesn't, I know where it's from. I know it's from above. And I walk through my life with the confidence that I'm not in charge and I'm not in control and I'm not alone. But I walk through my life with the confidence that by definition, there's nothing opposing me. There's nothing I have to overcome. There's nothing I have to battle. Externally, on the surface, I'm battling from when I wake up till I fall asleep. But internally, when I harness my best self, when I have that LASIK surgery and I see the world through the proper lens, then I see God absolutely, absolutely everywhere. And we'll come back to that more in a moment. So he's up to the section, Hasaba Mi Nevardik, the altar of Nevardik, one of the great Musr leaders, the, the um the founder of the Muslim movement, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, had several primary students, and they broke up into three divisions, three approaches towards Musr, towards personal growth, character development. And they were Slabadka, Navardik, and Kelm. One focused on the greatness of man. You know, we're just beneath an angel. We're capable of such greatness, it's beneath us to misbehave, and taught us that we can become great by focusing on the godless Adam on our greatness. And the other focus not on the greatness of man, godless Adam, but shiftless Adam. Do you know? You think you're great? You're a garnished. You're worthless. You're going to be worm food. You're a nothing. You're just above an ant. You're, you're mamish a nothing. And by focusing on how temporary our lives are, how unworthy we are, how what failures we are capable of, that will motivate. Different schools of thought. Who was right? 
It's not a matter of who is right. Different things appeal to different people in different times. It speaks to different parts of who we are. And the truth is, we need a mix of both. Sometimes when you're feeling down in the dumps, you need to be reminded of Godless Adam. You're great. You're capable of greatness. Do you know who you are? You're royalty. You're a prince. You're a princess. You're a child of God. Do you know who you are and what you're capable? Do you know what you carry inside yourself? Do you know how much He loves you and cares about you and is guiding everything in you? And sometimes you walk around and you think, I'm a child of God. I'm royalty. I'm all that. You have to be reminded you're a garnished. You're future worm food. You're a nothing. You're pathetic oisvarf. You're nothing. So depending on different moments and different times in our lives, different schools of thought and different approaches of Musr will speak to us. So Saba mi Navardik, the altar of Navardik, he worked hard on this quality of bitachon, of trust, of faith, of living life with a level of confidence and calmness. From the writings of his students, it comes out that his belief, the altar of Navarak, felt the lifelong pursuit and the lifelong effort to live with faith and trust is a lifelong journey of trying to get back to the status of Adam Harishon, of Adam, before the sin that expelled him out of the Gan Eden. So he said, I want to explore, if Schwartz says, let's unpack what that means. What does it mean that our whole lives, we're trying to go back to the garden? We're trying to go back and break back into the Garden of Eden, to Gan Eden. We want to get back to the level, the status of Adam Arishon, of Adam, before he made that fateful mistake that changed the course of all humanity. Lashon HaMedrash, HaMedrash tells us, Zman Adam Arishon There was a time that was to deposit Adam in Gan Eden. God created a world, six days of creation, and the time came to deposit Adam, Adam, inside the garden. As it says, God deposited him, he rested him. Adam was able to find calmness and solace and comfort in the garden. There was a time he entered the garden, and then the time came to leave the garden, when God expelled him. To have entered the garden, that was part of the master plan. That all happened as part of creation. The sixth day God creates man, and he deposits him in the garden, and he says, this is your natural habitat. This is where you belong. This is why I created this world, is for you to live here, in this way, in it. So what happened? Where did it go wrong? Just to understand, what was the lifestyle in Garden Eden? You know, when many, many people picture Garden Eden, they picture Boca Raton, Florida. Palm trees and lakes and canals and water sources and a cool breeze and a beautiful blue sky and, and sipping a pina colada while lying next to the pool. When they picture their Gan Eden, they're picturing not necessarily the heat and humidity of this time of year, but they're picturing our community Boca Raton. So what do we picture? What's our Gan Eden? What does Gan Eden look like? An unlimited smorg, whatever foods you want, at any amount you want? What did Gan Eden look like? So the answer is Gan Eden was a place of purity of holiness. It was a place where you saw God everywhere and you felt His presence and you felt drawn and connected to Him. He could do no wrong and you could do no wrong to Him. It was a place where it wasn't a struggle and there wasn't a battle and there weren't choices to be made. The evil urge or instinct or temptation, that appetite was not represented internally within yourself. It's a very beautiful description of Hirsch has of why Adam and Chava, right after they're expelled from Gan Eden, they find themselves on the outside. All of a sudden, What's their very first reaction? They turned to one another and they said, did you feel that? 
You feel that cool breeze? <laughs> Why do they feel a cool breeze? Because the Torah tells us their nakedness. They were unclothed. They walked around in Gan Eden without any clothing. And all of a sudden, they're outside the Gan. They say, did you feel that breeze? What's going on? I just realized I'm naked. And they cover up with a sense of shame, a sense of embarrassment. And God fashions for them divine clothing. God was the original designer. And he gives them clothing in order to cover up. And Refersh says, what's going on in this story? Why didn't they realize they were naked when they were in the garden? And why is the first thing they realize they're naked when they're outside the garden? And why did they not need to cover up when they were there? And all of a sudden, they and we need to cover up when we're on the outside. And he writes so beautifully that Adam, Arishan, and Chava, Adam and Eve in the garden, the notion of a struggle, the notion of battle, the notion of temptation, urge, appetite, desire, it was all external to the self. It was all represented in the Nachash, in the snake. Adam and Chava walked through the garden, and all they saw and all they felt was God. They were connected to Him, and they wanted to meet His expectations of them. They loved Him, and they felt God's love of them. And there were no choices, there was no battle, there was no difficulty, there was no temptation, there were no obstacles, there was nothing to overcome. But the moment they gave in to that Yetzirah, the moment they chait, they missed that opportunity of living that life permanently, the moment they listened to the Nachash, they absorbed that voice, it became internal. So the Medrash tells us, do you know that Adam and Chava walked around the Garden of Eden, they walked around naked. And not only did they eat in front of one another and the animal world, but they even procreated in front of the animal world because that act had no shame to it. That act was no less natural than eating or drinking something that we have no shame or hesitation to do in front of one another. So what happened? What changed? The moment that they internalized temptation, appetite, desire, the moment that they listened to the snake and the voice of the snake became a permanent part of their own struggle, they all of a sudden realized what is the greatest battle, what is the greatest struggle. Freud wasn't wrong. The id, the ego, the sexual temptation, promiscuity continues to be a challenge and a battle. We're learning about it in Mesila Sisharim. We just covered that section in Nikias in chapter 11 uh, on Wednesday mornings right before this year. So all of a sudden they realized, wow, we're naked and we better cover up. And there's certain acts that are meant to be done in private, the acts that the area of our greatest temptation and could be of the greatest infidelity and downfall are meant to be, are meant to be, uh, we had to have discipline over them. And there's desire there. We have to have shame. We have to do it with the right person, the right time, the right place. We have to wear clothing in order to cover up, not out of prudishness, but out of pride of who we are and what we're reserving for the right circumstance. So the lifestyle in Gan Eden was, God is everywhere and I feel drawn to Him. And I'm not battling. There are no obstacles. There's nothing I have to face. But the moment they did that hate, the moment they made that fateful mistake, they listened to the snake. They should have repelled the snake. And they should have rejected the snake. And they should have told the snake, what are you talking about? God asked us one thing, one thing, eat, enjoy, es mein Kinder, just don't touch this, don't eat this tree. One thing, but they couldn't do it. They give in to that appetite, and we suffer the consequence until this very day. And that's what the Medrash says, Adam was placed in the garden, and then Adam was expelled from the garden. And you know what our life is? Our life is a journey to try to get back into that garden, to get back to that place where temptation, desire, where obstacles and battling are not part of our daily life. To get back to that place where we have one objective, to live virtuous, righteous, meaningful, beautiful lives, to repair God's world, to interact with people in a holy way, and to lift their spirits, to make the world a better place, to fulfill His will, to feel His love, and to love Him back. We want to get back to that place. That's what Bitachon is all about. And what is, what is the biggest difference for Adam and for us? 
before the chait, before that mistake, man did not have to express or exert effort. Wouldn't have to take initiative. By man, I mean generic man. Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve. Adam didn't have to work to bring home a paycheck so that Chava could shop at Neiman Marcus and Bloomingdale's and uh, Macy's or whatever is going to be left and not in bankruptcy when this is over. Chava could shop to her heart's desire. There were no limits on her credit card. Adam didn't have to work hard to draw an income in order to be able to cover it, to pay for it. Chava didn't have to buy the, the ingredients and spend all day in the kitchen to cook dinner for her and Adam and their whole animal kingdom. But rather, everything was prepared. God provided everything. It was like a kola life in Gan Eden. It was all covered from God. It was all provided from above. And they blew it. They wasted that chance. And instead of living a life of bliss and joy and happiness and satisfaction, of calm and confidence, of being provided for, seeing Hashem everywhere and having one job to feel and bask in His closeness and to be close to Him, they made that mistake. And what was the consequence? Hishtadlis, effort. In the Garden of Eden, the angels were running the all-you-can-eat barbecue. And the angels were tending the bar and mixing the drinks. That's what the Medrash says. It's pretty much like a Pesach program. Basically, Ganeiden was this unlimited Pesach program. You went from the shmorg to the all-you-can-eat barbecue, to the tea room, to the nightlife. Only nobody had to work to pay for it. It was covered and it was open and available to all. The unlimited bar. Uh, so each one suffered a consequence. Chava, you know what? Procreation would have been pleasurable, easy. Pregnant, there's no gestation period of nine months. You, get, you have that baby, there's no pain, just joy, done. Instead now, the epidural. I always joke. You know when Yocheved got her epidural? When the second line came back on the pregnancy test, that's when she asked for the epidural. I'm just joking. She pushed out a lot of babies and did it with great with great uh, strength and beauty and grace. So the woman, woman's punishment was, I don't know if she's listening or not, but I'm in trouble. Woman's punishment was that now childbirth became painful. Man's punishment was, instead of having an unlimited credit card, an unlimited debit card, ooh, she is listening, an unlimited debit card, uh, man's punishment was he now had to work. The snake's punishment, of course, was he now would uh, travel around on his belly. So we continue to suffer out as manazah. You see, our life in the garden was the ultimate expression of a life of bitachon, to see God everywhere, to feel His presence everywhere, to never battle, to never confront, to never have tension, to never need to overcome. Everything is His will and everything was provided from above and all there is is to feel close to Him. And what happened after that mistake and after we were expelled, now our life becomes filled with battle, obstacle, challenge. Now our life is defined by the need to unmask Him, to discover Him, to try to feel close from Him even when He feels like He's hiding. Our mission is to get back to the garden. Our mission is to go back to find Hashem to the status and to the identity of Adam Kodem HaChet, before. Before that mistake, Adam didn't battle. There were no challenges. 
He woke up every day and there were no, can you believe what's happening at work? Can you believe how hard it is to draw an income? Chava didn't have to work in order to have children, to cook dinner, to do her own work and her own career. Everything was provided for from above. Everything came easy. All there was was calmness and confidence. All there was was seeing Hashem. But now we live with this reality. Now we live with this consciousness of that everywhere I turn, there's the possibility of going wrong. In Gan Eden, you could do no wrong, except for the one thing that they did wrong. But other than that, it should have been easy. And now our lives are filled with everything I can go wrong. How I wake up, what do I eat, what did I say, what do I wear, where do I go, will there be traffic, will there be an accident, will this go easy, will the business deal work out, or is it a risk I shouldn't be taking? Having another child, am I bringing a child into this world, a world that was worth bringing a child into? And will that child, God forbid, pose challenges, illness, sickness, physical, mental, emotional, health, where life is surrounded and riddled by challenges. And our mission and our mandate is to peel back the challenges and to discover Hashem below, to go back to the garden, to get back into the garden together, to get back to a life that even though now we need to make effort, even though now we need to take initiative, even though now we face what feel like battles and challenges, nevertheless, to see Him, Hashem, everywhere and to realize that He's as much a part of our lives as He was Adam and Chava before that mistake. The result of that mistake is that now we see battles. Now we see our own fragility and vulnerability, our own mortality everywhere we turn. There are thorns and thistles. There are obstacles and challenges. You think it was easy for Adam? He became this farmer overnight. He went from being on the ultimate Pesach program with unlimited smorgs and buffets and, and barbecues and tea rooms. And all of a sudden now he's a farmer cast into the field. And the field is filled with thorns and thistles and a beating sun. And he's got to be able to make it produce. He says, God, where are you when the ground is not providing? Where are you when I face pestilence and plague? Where are you if I'm worried about I'm going to harvest a crop? All of a sudden, now there are challenges and battles and obstacles. It doesn't come as easy, and yet the mission remains the same, which is to reveal and to uncover and to find Hashem everywhere we go, to get back to that status, to get back into the garden. I'll just share with you, I wrote uh, my article for this week, but I'll share it with you here also, is that this is part of the holiday of Shavuos. We associate the holiday of Shavuos with learning Torah, something you do indoors, with air conditioning, under the comfort of a roof, protecting us from the rain. And you open our beautiful Sfarim, our beautiful Torah tomes, our beautiful books, and we, and we study Hashem's Torah indoors. But the truth is, Shavuos is meant to also be celebrated and experienced outdoors. It's not a coincidence that when God creates man, man's first discovery and interaction with God takes place where? In a garden. And when we receive the Torah, God doesn't say, pack into the convention center. He doesn't say, pack into the stadium, we're outdoors at a mountain, and there's lightning, and there's thunder, and there's grass, and there's flowers, and there's nature. We see and we find Hashem in that natural world, and among the natural phenomena. And when we are attuned to it, and connected with it, when we are looking for it, we can discover Hashem everywhere. We can go back into the garden even after we've been expelled. If we live with that level of mindfulness and consciousness, if we choose to see Hashem everywhere that we are, and I wrote, and it's true, last night was our first mincha back at the shul. And yesterday afternoon it poured all day, rain and, and thunder and lightning. And Linda, we came to shul and there was a magnificent rainbow. 
that went literally from one end, we saw the entire rainbow to the other. Rainbows are a complicated area in Jewish thought and Jewish practice. But there was a beautiful rainbow. And that storm all afternoon, in fact, cleared the humidity in the air. And if you went out last evening, it was a beautiful night. And there was a breeze. And the cloud formation and the clouds had a magnificent orange-reddish glow from the setting sun. And as we daven mincha, the birds were chirping. And I stood there and I said to myself, how badly I wish we were back inside, how much I miss the Arun Kodesh and standing at a, at a shtender and looking out at our kahila without masks on their face, how desperately I looked for it. But you know what? There was something special about being outside still, hearing those birds chirping and seeing that sunset and feeling that cool breeze and saying, Hashem, you're everywhere. You're, you're enveloping me. You're hugging me. I feel I'm with you. I'm back in the garden. You're back with me. You're back. You're back everywhere. And so receiving the Torah, going back to the garden, going back to the mountain, that's what Harsinai is. We actually, in the ideal form, we're in shul on Shavuos. And we hear the Torah read from a platform, from a bima, which represents the mountain. But even when we can't go back inside the shul, we got to go back outside, back to the mountain, and see the flowers and the fauna, and feel Hashem's love through the nature and through His natural order. It's what Shavuos is about. True Shavuos is about Zman Matan Tarasenu, the time that we receive the Torah, but it's equally also about Zman Chag HaKatsir, the holiday of harvesting, the farmer who spent all that time and had to take that initiative and effort, now reaps the fruit of his labor, quite literally, brings in his bounty and says, all this natural, the tan from the sun I have and the hard work, the calluses on my hands, they're all a testament to you, God. I see you through what I was able to grow, what I was able to bring in, what I was able to harvest. It's what the Chag HaBikurim, it's also the holiday of the first fruit, those first fruit that we find that we're bringing in. Why is this meaningful to me? I share this with you not for your sympathy, and I know that you would offer your heartfelt love to my family, but because I want you to learn from someone extraordinary in my life that we lost, my, my first cousin, my father's sister's daughter, Missy Stein, Melissa, maybe some of you met her when she's been to all of our simchas here, but uh, she lost her 20-year battle with cancer this week. She was first diagnosed when she was 35 years old, and she went through four bouts of cancer, and she pledged at the first one that she would, her children would grow up with their mother, her five children. And in fact, her, her youngest went off to college this year, and this is when she lost that battle. Nearly 20 years of relentless, tenacious fighting and battling. She was of extraordinary strength, an amazingly remarkable woman. Um, she was really special and, and, and really special to our family. And one of the terrible casualties of this horrific pandemic is the inability. We were supposed to go spend some time with her at the end of her life and to be able to say goodbye. We couldn't do that. Obviously, couldn't be at a funeral or pay a proper shiva call or even be together. So I just share with you in, in her memory, but really because there's a lesson to learn and it's a lesson for our living with Amuna. And it really fits in exactly, because everything is orchestrated from above, it fits in exactly with what we're learning in this section from Rav Schwartz. And I'll just tell you what one of her daughters, Gavi, Gavriella, said at her funeral. It really moved me so deeply. Missy's boundless energy and her, her wild laughter. I, I knew all of that and I loved her and felt so close to her. But this part I didn't know. Gavi described that often they were late to school. And they weren't late to school because Missy was lacked punctuality or promptness. Missy was very punctual, very responsible. Why were they always late to school? So Gavi said the following amazing story. She said that my cousin Missy had a digital camera that she kept under the armrest of her car. And Invariably, on the way to school, she would see something out the windshield that would catch her eye. A beautiful flower, an animal, a landscape. There was something that would catch her eye, and she couldn't help, but she would literally pull over a running stream, something others wouldn't notice, 
some things others would never even catch their eye. But she would literally stop, Gavi said, literally stop to smell the roses. She'd pull over, get her camera, get out of the car, take it in, have a moment to smell the roses, see it captured on film. And then Gavi and her siblings described she'd always let out this this um, deep breath and proclaim, and they would get late to school almost every day because their mother would see something worthy of taking a picture of, something worthy of finding Hashem in, in his beautiful world. She lived in his garden. The whole world was his garden and she saw him, she saw him everywhere. And I think that's the holiday of Shavuot. The testimony God describes at Harsinai, at Mount Sinai, the whole nation saw the sounds, which makes no sense. You see sights and you hear sounds. What does it mean to see the sounds? sounds? So one of the most beautiful explanations is that in that moment, all their senses were heightened. They were living in high definition and full color. And therefore they even saw the sounds. There are people who live in black and white in monochrome. There are people who are going through life and they see nothing. And there are people who are living in a high definition. The whole world is jumping out of them. The whole world is three four-dimensional. It's jumping out at them. And that was my cousin Missy. Everything she did, she did with gusto. Every conversation was accompanied by sound effects and hand gestures and facial expressions. She lived life with all of her senses. And she therefore saw Hashem everywhere. And that's this holiday of Shavuos. Not only to be indoors, but to go outdoors to go back to the garden, whether literally or figuratively. One of the beautiful things about this, um, the silver linings, if it's fair to say that, in a pandemic, is every Shabbos and every Yontif, since this broke out after Purim, every Shabbos and every Yontif, and many days in between, I've gone for a walk. How many walks did I go on for the 20 years prior living here in Boca? Not many, not many. But every Shabbos and every Yontif, and many days in between, I've gone for walks. And I take a different one of my children. Last night, and I, Yecheved and I took a beautiful romantic walk to the mailbox and back. And, but I've gone for a walk. I've gone for walks every, every Shabbos. And you know what you see when you go for a walk in Boca? And I'm sorry if you don't live here, and I don't mean to uh, be insensitive. You walk around one of our magnificent lakes, and you see iguanas and lizards. And you see mother ducks with these beautiful ducklings that we're watching grow up in front of our eyes. And you can see frogs and fish literally in the water, and you see flowers, and you see, it's extraordinary what you see. It's extraordinary. We can go back to the garden, and we can see Hashem everywhere before our very eyes. And we can either live lives where He's absent, where He's invisible, where we wonder where He is. We can live lives of doubt and uncertainty. We can live lives where we're battling, everything is a battle. Or you could live life where you say, wow, stop and smell the roses. I'm going back to the garden. No matter what I have to do externally, no matter what I have to face or confront or overcome, my cousin Missy spent literally half of her life fighting cancer, going through treatments, getting rid of it for only for it to come back again. But she was never a victim. She would never describe herself as having to fight or battle. She felt privileged and blessed through the beautiful things in her lives. It's a mindset. It's a choice that we make. And I know so many of you, and even I struggle. I don't want to make it sound like this is easy or comes easy for me. I know we say, well, how can I? There's doubt and there's uncertainty. People are going through particularly challenging times and waiting, God forbid, for a poor result of a medical test or wondering how they're going to put food on their table or concerned about what will be. It's not easy. But be the pilot, not the passenger. Be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Every cliche I've thrown at you for the last many years that we've been learning. We have a choice. You're in control. Decide who you want to be. Decide who you want to be. You want to be a victim? Do you want to be a passive spectator to your life? 
Or do you want to control those thoughts and those urges and those doubts? Do you want to go back to the garden together? Do you want to walk around that garden and hear the birds chirp and see the animal life and see the magnificent natural world and natural phenomena and feel the cool breeze against your face and the warmth of the sun on the back of your neck and say, that is the biggest hug from above. It's all Hashem. No matter what I have to confront or face, no matter what obstacles feel like they're in my way, the truth is the world is operating in harmony. It's His universe. He's the conductor. He's in charge. I see Him everywhere. And I'm grateful for what I have. And I love Him. And I want to be close to Him. I want to get back to Adam Kodem Achet. I want to get back to Gan Eden. I want to go back to the garden together. Hakesha ben Shteha Agdaros. We'll do a little bit more. Hakesha ben Shteha Agdaros. Shechai bitachan imchayim ba'olam she'im bo hisnagdus. You see, in Gan Eden, what characterized the Garden of Eden, what defined the Garden of Eden lifestyle, was that there was no opposition. There was nothing that had to be confronted. From the moment Adam and Chava woke up in the morning till they fell asleep at night, everything came easy. Everything was simple. Everything was straightforward. Everything was clearly the way it was meant to be. There were no obstacle. There was no tension. There was nothing that had to be faced. Because before a world of chait, what is chait? We've translated this so many times, those who've been learning with me for many years. What does the word chait mean? If you look in Tanakh, the word chait is used. For example, to shoot an arrow that misses its target is a chait. A chait doesn't mean a sin. Sin is a Christian term. Chait means a missed opportunity. We have opportunities all around us to draw close to God. The ducks that walk in your way could either be an obstacle or you could see Hashem. That hot sun can either be a challenge or you could feel the rays of the sun as Hashem. A chait, it, we have opportunities, invitations all day, every day. And when we miss those invitations, when we miss those opportunities to connect with them, that's a chait. He gives us 613 opportunities. It's what we're going to celebrate tomorrow, tomorrow night. It's what we're going to celebrate Friday and Shabbos the giving of those 613 opportunities and invitations. When we miss those chances, that's a chait. It's a missed opportunity to be close to Him. It was a missed opportunity. When we take advantage, when we take advantage, that's a mitzvah. That's what draws us close and makes us feel connected. So before we ever made any of those mistakes, before we missed opportunities, all we saw was Hashem everywhere. But in the world in which we've made a mistake, and mistakes now become in the realm of possibility and temptation, now we struggle to find Him. If a person violates God's will, they ate, excuse me, forbidden food, they transgressed the laws of Shabbos and Yantiv, they were dishonest in their business dealings. So first of all, we face the consequence and the accountability of our mistake. That's the real world we live in, at school, at work, in our relationship with spouses and friends. There are consequences and there's accountability for the mistakes that we make. But the very fact that we've made that mistake also just changes who we are. Not only is it an act or a missed opportunity on the outside, but it leaves a residue. It changes who we are internally as well. The chait, in other words, now, that voice that says, you're allowed to ignore, you can miss opportunities, you can make mistakes, that voice now becomes part of the inner dialogue that we go through all the time. It's an inner dialogue that takes place on a regular basis. So the fact that we made that mistake, 
and we now undergo this inner dialogue and struggle within our own minds and our own head, now changes us from smooth sailing and easy breezy to having to fight and to fight bitterly to do the right thing. We, we leave the world where everything is operating in harmony and we enter a world where we're battling from when we wake up until we fall asleep. And what's the answer? The antidote is the life of bitachon, is to make that choice. Don't battle. Yes, we have to face difficult moments, difficult decisions, difficult conversations, difficult behaviors. Absolutely, there are things that feel like they are our opponents and adversaries. They are the obstacles and impediments. There's no question they surround us. But what is our attitude and approach towards them? Do we have to give in to them? Do we choose to battle them? Or do we see Hashem behind them, orchestrating it all from above, the harmony of the universe, going back to the garden and finding that connection, that closeness, that special relationship with Hashem. That's the essence of this holiday. That's the essence of the mission of our lives. And that's why we do this together. It's hard to do alone. But together, we can go back to the garden. Together, we can turn back time. Together, we can go on this trip to see Him everywhere, to draw strength from one another. And so I bless you and all of us that we should go back to the garden, take that deep breath and say, Moda'ani lefanecha, to walk around that that literal or figurative digital camera and take snapshots of Hashem everywhere and in all of nature and the natural phenomena, that we should be blessed with all of the highest and holiest blessings a person can have, good health and happiness and holiness, to have children, to have nachas from children and grandchildren, healthy grandchildren. I want to bless all of you. Thank you for joining me and wish you a wonderful day. Don't forget Behind the Bima tonight, 9 p.m., special guest, great sponsors, myphoto.com. You don't want to miss another amazing episode. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to our channel. Even if you're not, feel free to subscribe. I'm wishing everyone a great, great day.